Morning, folks. Good to see you again. Welcome here uh, in presence and online. Um, thank you, Bill, for the permission to go till 12, was it? <laughs> um, in this walk through the Thessalonian letters, we, we started by uh, looking at the background provided in Acts 16, 17, and 18. And then we considered uh, the missionaries' care and concern for the people, the lost and the, the church, those who were saved, when they uh, reached back out to them. We looked at evangelism lifestyle that, that Paul showed us and those with him. Um, and... Today we're going to look at, um, I guess, a summary of the Christian lifestyle, yeah, taken from mainly from First uh, Thessalonians four and First Thessalonians five. There is a little bit of stuff, some similar concepts that come up in Second Thessalonians three, uh, but we'll deal with those at a later time. Um, I've said before, and I'll say it again: there are many different ways we can approach scripture in, in terms of presenting the material in a lesson. Um, I've chosen to look on, on, to focus on one key aspect here today and, and, and break that down into a few parts. We're looking at uh, this one thing, God's will expressed in one word. It tells us how we ought to walk and how we can please God. And so that's from verse 1. Do you want to know how to walk as a Christian? How to please God? I know I do. So if I can capture that in, in one word, that, uh, that sounds like a useful concept. So we're looking at sanctification. It says in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's what we want to look at today. So what does uh, that mean again, sanctification? That's basically being purified, um, being freed from sin, uh, maybe uh, becoming morally right and acceptable. Those different nuances to that. That's what we want to focus on here. This then, in one word, is God's will for us. And if we're on this road in Christ, then we walk as we ought to walk, and then we can please God. That's good news, I would think. Uh, that's gospel, right? Which is what good news means. That's the gospel. There's good news just to be able to uh, walk well and please God. So what does that involve according to these verses? In uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, the things we lift out, we'll be looking at purity. We'll be looking at discipline. We'll be looking at respect. And we'll be looking at diligence. All of these, then, we will understand under the overarching concept of sanctification, of being made holy, God's work in us to make us holy. So verse 3, then, in our, in our section, of 1 Thessalonians 4, introduces this concept of sanctification. It comes up a few more times um, in uh, verses uh, seven and, uh, 4 and 7, and then appears again almost like a bookend in uh, verse 23 of chapter 5. And the discussion between those pertains to holiness and being made holy. So, 
The first one then, purity. We'll read the verses, verses uh, 1 to 8 here. Finally, brethren, is that, do I have the correct verse? Okay, I've got a different version here. Um, oh, I know what I did. In my text, I only started verse 3. I skipped verses 1 and 2, so I'll catch those up there. See if I can read that. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that, as you receive from us as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, you may excel, excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. It is the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Ooh, got to go to my text. And that you, no man transgress and afford his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. There appear then to be a few aspects uh, referred to here uh, in this introduction to being made holy. Uh, abstaining from sexual immorality having control over one's own body and treating others appropriately in this context, on this subject. And these are commandments given, as we see in, in verse 2. This is what he commands. And they're given with an overarching reason. Maybe it's a foundational concept. The broad warning, namely, that the Lord is avenger in all these things. So the Lord is involved in, and being the avenger is what? What does that pertain to? What does an avenger do? It pertains to making sure justice is done, rectifying wrong done to somebody else, restoring the balance, if you like. And Paul says, we told you these things, but we didn't only tell you these things, we solemnly warned. So that sounds like a, a big deal, like a pretty strong thing going on there. So apparently, sexual transgressions are significant. They are severely impactful, and God puts a big emphasis on being sure that we're sexually pure. For instance, it's a rare reason to allow divorce. We see also in 1 Corinthians 16, I mean in 1 Corinthians 6, that the emphasis is on uh, what happens in our bodies in sexual sin. All other sin is outside our body. There's a distinction made there. And it is something, sexual sin is something that can and does cause a dramatic amount of damage, of harm to anybody, all of us, across all walks of life. And in any circumstance, sexual sin causes a lot of damage. 
In its proper context, however, in a loving and faithful marriage, it's a wonderful gift and dramatically beneficial. So it's, it's one of two extremes. When we do what God says with our sexuality, the way he in, intends it to be applied, it's wonderfully beneficial. Outside of that, though, it's harmful. And we don't know all of the ins and outs of that. We, we see research, of course. We, we, sadly, some of us might have experienced some of that. We read about it. We see the fallout of not doing it God's way all over the place. It's a significant thing because of the great amount of harm that deviating from God's plan does in this area. Now, in this passage, giving attention to the original language and context, it seems like vessel in verse 4 is, is more naturally understood as, as one's own body, as your own body, and possess is best understood as gain control over or gain mastery over. Um, even if the meaning, as some translations have, has to do more with how a husband treats his wife, the message is the same. It must be in sanctification or holiness and in honor. Also, our holy lives dare not defraud others in any way. It talks about defrauding your brethren. In, so, with our sexuality then, we have to treat people with honor. We have to conduct ourselves in honor and treat others with honor and not defraud anybody in any way. And it says, because the Lord is watching. Because the Lord is avenger, he will restore the balance. Seems like a serious warning for us to take that seriously. And again, God's not trying to mess with us or spoil our fun because what he has for us is a wonderful blessing. When we do apply it the way he intends, in a loving, committed, faithful marriage, we find the blessing he holds for us in this gift. That's what he intends for us. Uh, secondly, look, we'll look here at, at discipline, verses uh, 9 to 12 of First Thessalonians 4. Now as to the love of the brethren... You have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God how to love one another. For indeed you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. And work with your hands just as we commanded you. So that you may behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. This is uh, the one section that in some ways is contrasted with, with the undisciplined lifestyle in Second Thessalonians 3, but that is a, a lesson coming up in the future. So while Paul encourages them in how well they do love their brethren, and uh, how they are actually practicing this lifestyle thing, he says, he exhorts them to do more. He says, excel still more. It's like he's saying, you guys are doing brilliantly. Do better. <laughs> so stick with it and keep improving with it. And again, that, that raises the standard fairly high for us in how we ought to live and the kind of discipline we should exercise in our lives. It's captured then by these statements 
lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, work hard, because this is proper. This is good behavior. This is appropriate behavior. And then you won't be a burden. Now here it's talking about working hard so that you're not a burden or, or, or are in need and, and need help from others. Interestingly, Ephesians 4 talks about working hard so that we can share with those who do have a need. Both aspects are mentioned, but here the focus is on our not being a need is that we work hard and behave properly in this way and focus on a lifestyle that is, is not flashy and that uh, fulfills what it is, um, what our interests are, what our business is, without messing with anybody else. So remember at the beginning of this lesson, uh, we referred to knowing how to walk appropriately before God in a way that pleases God? That expression walk here, Paul says that when that happens, God is the one who makes us holy, right? There's a way to walk, there's a way to please God, and this is what God's will is, your sanctification. So when we walk like that, when we do these things, God is in the process of sanctifying us. More specifically, I guess we'd say when we allow God to do that, because it is his will. He has all sorts of plans for us, but we have free will. We get to choose how much God gets to do with us. What he's asking for is full commitment, right? What does the concept dead to self mean? We've been crucified with Christ. Who calls the shots? Well, that's a different discussion there. So if we allow God to make us holy, then we let him guide us in this disciplined life. So here in verse 12, when we live like this, in this discipline, um, for instance, the quiet life might seem strange. It's, I guess one way to to look at that is if we're not chasing a, a flashy life that seems attractive to some, uh, but really ends up being a reason to boast before others, right? Look at how, how, how great I am and how much I have and all these things that I have. We, we get opportunity to brag or, or boast in front of others. He's just saying, lead a quiet life. Get on with significant things without calling attention to yourself. When we do that and, and, and these other things, then we are, and it uses the expression walking properly. It says, some translations say behave properly. It's the same word as earlier in the text, walk properly. That's what's going on. And uh, so then this is how we ought to do that. At first glance, when it then transitions into the discussion about the coming of Jesus, like that's arbitrary or, or, or doesn't fit the context. Apparently, though, the connection seems to be that some of the folks in Thessalonica were not working because they were expecting Jesus to return at any moment. And so they, they thought there was no need to walk, uh, I mean, work and, and, and lead our, our quiet life and get on with our business. We'll just be a burden on others until Jesus comes. At least, probably they didn't have that perspective to be a burden, but that's what Paul is identifying for them. He says, when you stop work and you just hang around waiting for Jesus to return, you're actually being a burden. So... That's the transition he makes in that context, and he talks a little bit about the coming of Christ. He focuses on how it's good news and how we don't have to worry about it like it being a thief in the night appearing and, and causing trouble. But again, more on that in a future lesson. We're not focusing on that. We're looking at the lifestyle aspects here. 
So we've looked at purity and discipline. This is walking the way God intends. Uh, thirdly, then, we look at respect here. In uh, chapter 5, we've jumped over now. We've gone through this second or the return of Jesus, the coming of Christ at the end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5. That's another lesson. Now we pick up again in chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. He says to appreciate those, the focus is on those who, who labor among you in these spiritual matters. Esteem them highly because of their work of admonition. Apparently, that's important. Admonishing has to do with warning or instruction. It's counsel to avoid or cease improper conduct. That's the, the focus here of admonition. And when for those who do that among us, who, who guide us in these spiritual matters, that's an important thing. So let's think about that. Why might that be important? Or highlighted like this, that the folks who do this should be esteemed highly and um, appreciated or respected. One way to look at it is this. Uh, when all is said and done, when... Uh, this earthly life is over. What happens to the businesses that we've built? What happens to all the money we've saved and all the possessions we've gained? What is the heavenly value, once this earthly life ends, of, of all the papers we've pushed? Or the projects we've managed? Or the tasks we've completed? How valuable then are all the points scored, the games won, the promotions gained? We can ask Solomon about that, I think, or just read Ecclesiastes and get some perspective. In the end, apparently, all that matters is to fear God and keep his commandments. 12 verse 13, Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13. These are the things that usher us into eternity into God's presence, or we could say the eternity that is in God's presence, because there's another eternity that is outside God's presence called death. It's a miserable time of suffering. We want the eternity that is in God's presence, and all that matters apparently is to fear God and keep his commands. And uh, in verse 14 of Ecclesiastes 12, after... Verse 13 distills for us the essence of what, what is needed. There's this sobering reason stated. For God will bring every act to judgment. Does that sound a little bit like 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 6? The Lord is avenger in all these things. Right, God is involved in the lives that we live. God sees what it is we do. He takes note, and we give him an account. And he's saying that the spiritual work that people do, who have charge over us in the Lord, 
of instruction or admonition are doing stuff that has eternal value. I know I, I don't have to say this, but I'll do it anyway. That obviously does not mean that we do not appreciate people who don't do this, or that we can esteem lowly those who don't. That's not what God's saying. What he is saying is don't take this lightly. Don't overlook this. Just because in this world's view, this stuff is less important, the spiritual matters, the spiritual focus, don't take it lightly. On the contrary, it's more important than most people realize. One day we will understand more fully the world and even many Christians uh, seem to focus less on spiritual matters and more on, I guess we'd call them worldly matters. Like um, you get educated, that's a big priority, learn to make lots of money or enough money to, to look after yourself well, get promotions. When you raise your kids, raise your kids to get a good education, to earn a lot of money and get great promotions, right? Or to be great at sport and, and stand out or, or to be successful. And these things in and of themselves are not bad per se. It's when we emphasize them as though they were more important in spiritual matters that the trouble comes in. We can walk away from God or de-emphasize the things that God emphasizes. And so we go through the cycle generationally, you know, educate money, raise your kids to that, rinse, repeat, you know, carry on. God seems to focus, though, on other matters. Gaining his wisdom is of far greater value than any earthly valuable treasure. Treating people well. You know, how we treat each other is more important even than what we do when we come here on a Sunday morning with our songs and prayers and our contribution. Apparently, he's not interested in that at all if we're not treating each other well. Living a spiritually mature, God-honoring life in the way we honor and respect and bless each other. So... Becoming holy, being sanctified, being transformed into his image appears to be what's really important to God. Doesn't he say that we should emphasize his kingdom first and then he will give us all we need? Where does God prioritize? What order does he put things in? When we look at verse 7 again, we skipped over it a bit earlier. We didn't spend much time on it. It says, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So this is a big deal to God. He says he will give us all we need. He says we don't have to chase these things like the Gentiles do. And yet so many of us find ourselves there. Certainly the world does. But even among Christians that can happen. It's so easy to get pulled into the world emphases, the things that the world emphasizes. It's too easy to get drawn into that and focus on those things and spend our time there. And therefore... Those who labor among us to help us to focus on spiritual matters and to de-emphasize the worldly pursuits are to be held in high esteem because it's an important focus they help us with. And then lastly here, diligence. Verses 14 to 23 we'll look at in chapter 5. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. This is just a, a long list of to do, as we would say. 
See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Notice the superlatives here, the extremes, and the diligence called for in all of these verses. Be patient with all men. Always seek for the good of one another, and all men. Rejoice always. Pray always. Give thanks always. Examine always. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, right? I'm using a different word, but that's what comes out here. Abstain from evil always, or the opposite extreme. Never retaliate, but seek the good for all people. It's like that's the opposite. If we retaliate, we're not seeking the good of all people. Certainly not the people involved. When we do not retaliate, when we do not pay back, we are seeking the good of all. That includes us and the person we're dealing with. Never quench a spirit. Never despise prophetic things. And so, that's the diligence that's called for. Admonish, which by the way, here, this admonish, is the same word as in verse 12. Those who admonish us in the Lord, the ones we're supposed to appreciate, it's that same word. Who give instruction, who warn us against improper conduct, it's that same word. We have to do that for each other. Admonish the disorderly or the insubordinate or the unruly. Um, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Grab hold of that which is good. So this is the diligence that we're supposed to apply. This is hard work. There's a lot of effort called for here. And we need to be diligent about these matters, not taking them lightly nor dismissing them flippantly. Because look at the result. There's a result for this. There's a reason, again, for this. God will sanctify completely. He'll preserve us in body, soul, and spirit completely when this is what's going on with no blame when Jesus does come. That's the result. That's what's at stake. So the Christian living message gets wrapped up here then at, at this part in chapter 5. Paul said there's a way to walk and a way to please God. All right, what does that look like? It involves being sanctified. What are the aspects of being sanctified? Purity, discipline, respect, diligence. That's what he's focusing on here. If we do these things, God will sanctify us entirely. There it is. So, that's God's will for us. Be sanctified. Live in a way that honors him, that's a blessing to others. That's the way to walk. And when we do that, we please him. If there's any way you want to respond today, or have a, if you have a prayer request, uh, any kind of needs, please reach out to, to, to me, to, to one of the elders. There'll be folks you can uh, call on who will stand ready to help you. God bless you this week.